Hi there, this is Clark Terry here, reminding you to pull your bearskins a little closer to the fire. That's it. <laughs> now you're talking to me. Ah, watch out for those snapping sparks. Everybody cozy? Now the good news is that you're in time for the humble farmer. You've worked hard all day, and you deserve to relax now. So stay right there and listen to the best of this kind of music. farmer thank you again for listening perhaps you recently read that the united states continues to have the most billionaires <laughs> there are 492 billionaires in this country well can you imagine it think about this although they could buy every vote in the country they're shrewd enough to buy only as many as they need Thank you. 
Good evening, friends. James P. Johnson, Keep Off the Grass. That was recorded even before my time. Do you get emails that say, must read? (laughs) And the must read is in capital letters, must read. If anything turns me off, it is a must read. Of course, I'm a very old, stubborn old main man. I don't want to be told that I must do anything. So whenever I find an article that I think you might enjoy reading, I might call it to your attention. But I feel I would be insulting you if I should preface it with a must read. This came to mind one morning when I was looking at a friend's Facebook page and found a article written by a man who said that in 2008 he was a Ron Paul delegate to some convention. The Ron Paul delegates, he said, were poised to take control of the convention, and I will now read for you what this man wrote about the woman in charge who told all the delegates from Ron Paul what to do. Excuse me, and I, I do quote here. Dress normal, she said. Wear suits and don't bring signs or flags. Don't talk about conspiracy theories. Just fit in. Her advice was the kind you might hear given to an insane uncle at Thanksgiving. End of quote.
Django. City people don't think like we do out here on the farm in Maine. I just heard an excellent radio piece on urban agriculture the Catalina Island Conservancy produced for city people. It tells how to compost, yes, it tells how to compost doggy do. The title to the doggy do piece reminds me of a bit of wisdom Zach says he heard me pass along on my radio program many years ago. What's the what's the shortest sentence in the English language? I am. What's the longest sentence in the English language? I do. If saying do once gets you into trouble, can it also suggest what you might be stepping in if you get married twice? Anyway, here on the coast of Maine, where we enjoy rural agriculture, any organic rhubarb farmer knows that when it comes to enriching the soil, even the most robust St. Bernard would be no replacement for his young Angus bull. Think about this. And after three years of faithful service, you wouldn't want to eat your dog.
Fletcher Henderson here on the Humble Farmer. Where, with any luck at all, you can hear me playing old-fashioned music just for you every week at this time. Right here on your favorite station. In the course of the day, you and I catch ourselves doing so many ridiculous things that, well, there's really no need to make up stories. But, from time to time, a silly, apocryphal tale that I think you would enjoy comes my way, and this is one of them. At 2 a.m., when my old neighbor, Grandpa Wiley, got up to go to the bathroom, he looked out the window and saw a man going into his barn. He called 911 and reported a suspicious prowler, but was told that at the last town meeting, folks had voted to cut back on government services. The town now only had one officer. She was checking on a car some kid had rolled over, and there was presently no officer available. A minute later, Gramp called 911 again and said to disregard his first call because he had shot the man in his barn. No problem. Within minutes, a state police car roared up and the burglar was soon in handcuffs. The policeman said, I thought you said you'd shot someone. Gramp said, I thought you said there was nobody available.
Django. Thank you again for listening. Do you remember Go Dog Go? Have you ever read Go Dog Go? I had already served in the military, flunked out of music school, and was living in Europe when Go Dog Go was written. But I heard about Go Dog Go because my wife Masha, the almost perfect woman, used to teach little kids how to read. So, when someone in our home is doing something the others appreciate, we cry, Go Dog Go! And now that I think of it, I've heard teenage boys call each other dog in those movies. You know the movies where they steal cars in front of a hidden camera? They probably got that from reading Go Dog Go. Does this not indicate that our present educational system can boast of at least a modicum of success?
Vex. Vex by the back. Here on the humble farmer. An age is reflected in its literature. Edward Arlen Robinson, who 100 years ago was probably related to almost everybody where I live, he wrote about whiskey. Gustav Froding wrote about poverty. Poets have written about bubbling brooks and whippoorwills and malleable young men who march off to die. My question to you is, how can any contemporary bard aspire for immortality when our present culture can be summarized in an essay about Viagra and plastic toys from China? Django. And in the background, a trumpet player that I always enjoy listening to. I can never remember what his name is. You probably know what it is. Thank you for listening to The Humble Farmer here on your favorite radio station, where, with any luck at all, you can hear me playing old-fashioned music just for you every week at this time. Thank you again for listening. I am The Humble Farmer at gmail.com, and I would 
love to hear from you. Here is a rare email that came my way a while back. The heading was <laughs> the heading was Courier Delivered Viagra. Yes, it said Courier Delivered Viagra. Can you envision in your mind a situation so critical, so pressing, that one would pay extra to have Viagra delivered by courier? Look closely and you'll see vague specters huddled miserably on the front steps. Their faces brighten at the distant drumming of hoofbeats. A dispatch rider, leather bag over his shoulder, gallops into the dooryard. Without dismounting, he throws himself forward in the saddle, extends a clipboard and says, Please sign here. No, 
Louis Armstrong, Potato Potato Head Blues. You might have read that in one year not long ago, the 25 top hedge fund managers made over $25 billion. Although I don't earn enough money to pay an income tax, this is my understanding of how the high rollers did it. When the removal of Roosevelt's government regulations permitted financial institutions to engage in fiscally unsound practices, after it made the people engaging in those unsound practices very rich, their card houses collapsed. The stock of those financial institutions plummeted. But when President Bush gave those institutions your tax dollars to save them from themselves, the people who got rich by causing the collapse quickly bought hundreds of millions of dollars of the depressed stock in these institutions. Because of the bailout, the value of the stock turned around and shot up 400% or more, and the top 25 people to profit in this particular particular instance made over $25 billion. If you were to Google Jay Gould, the skunk of Wall Street, and read up on this consummate financial technician, you would learn that not much has changed in 140 years. Is this not good? There's still a chance for highly motivated individuals to get ahead in America.
Who was that? No, BB. Oh, that was Django, for heaven's sakes. The email said, a lot about email here. The email said, Defy your age. Miracle anti-aging cures now available. Now, to begin with, doesn't the word cure imply that aging is a disease? And if aging is a disease, babies are born sick. These ads to sell pills to cure aging are written by young people who don't realize that most of us who are old do not mind being old. Not that, you kids? We don't mind being old. We don't mind looking old. The only things that annoy us are the aches and pains we have only because we are old. Thank you. 
dun, 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 jelly roll Martin. I think that's who it was. It seems that no matter what your cause, nowadays you can support it with quotes by Thomas Jefferson or Abraham Lincoln. Nowadays, nobody would dare say anything bad about either one of them. Wow, Abraham Lincoln said that? These guys I'm listening to on the radio must be on the right side if they're quoting Abraham Lincoln. And look, they have an American flag on the wall behind them. But think about this now. If people down my way had owned radios 200 years ago, they would have smashed them with a hammer had a radio commentator said anything good about Thomas Jefferson. The Embargo Act of 1807 shut down the shipping in Wiscasset. And can you imagine what the Emancipation Proclamation did to Maine shipping in 1862? You've heard me say that they had a torchlight celebration parade when Lincoln was assassinated, right five miles from where I live. They touched off tar barrels to celebrate. People who like to quote Thomas Jefferson and Abraham Lincoln should remember that in their day, they were two of the most hated men on the coast of Maine.
Django. Thank you for listening to The Humble Farmer. You know, with any luck at all, you can hear me playing old-fashioned music just for you every week at this time right here on your favorite station. I'm the Humble Farmer at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. People from away don't understand how we do things here in Maine. I have 150 or so rhubarb plants. I used to give away a lot of rhubarb, but my friends didn't want to take it when I said it was free. So I started snapping a rubber band around a handful of rhubarb and putting it on a chrome-plated farm stand out by the road. You get it by the bunch, because if I ever put it out by the pound, even though it might be eight ounces over, there would come a day when someone would howl that it was one ounce short. But a bunch is a bunch. One day, a man from away was down in the rhubarb patch watching me snap it off, cut off the huge leaf, and put the stalk on the five-by-five-inch top of an ancient blue spring scale that I carry down to the rhubarb patch. And every once in a while, I'd snatch it up, snap a rubber band around it, and throw the bunch aside. The man watching me said, Hey, that scale don't work. Of course it works. When I can't get no more on the top of the scale and it starts to fall off, you got a bunch.
Fletcher Henderson. Play that thing. Boop, boop, boop. Boop, boop, boop. A woman I met down in Portland Airport told me that her father traveled a lot. The night before he'd go anywhere, he'd put out a pile of the clothes he figured he'd need to take with him. In another pile, he put all the money he figured he'd need to take. The next morning, he'd take half the clothes in the pile and twice the amount of money in the other pile. And she said, you know, it always came out just right. While I was in the Atlanta airport, I chanced to see on the front page of a New York Times that swabbing out someone's mouth to get a DNA sample has been ruled unusual search and seizure. Now, ordinarily, I'd say that they could swab out my mouth any time they want, because I don't mind if they poke around in my mouth. But I'm glad that they're... Most everybody is opposed to this mouth-searching business because, think about this, if they find they can legally poke around in your mouth and they don't find anything, does it take much imagination to figure out where they'll be looking next? 